On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, a conversation with Team Ash, illustrator Ashley Witter and writer Ash Mazko, about their work in comics and gaming, including their masterpiece, Squarriors. Plus, we've seen Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, and that means it's time for a multi-generational roundtable discussion. Now, straight from the Tin Kin's Acorn Pantry, this is 1.21 Gigawatts. Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 47 for December 2019. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that are cool and noteworthy and deserve to be celebrated. Do both yourself and myself a favor and subscribe right now at Apple Podcasts, Player FM, or SoundCloud.com to guarantee that you never miss an episode. What, uh, what are you doing there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Your destiny Life Day came early this year with the December 20th opening of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, the ninth and final episode in the Skywalker saga. Personally, even if it's a decade down the road, I don't think that Lucasfilm and Disney will be able to resist the marketing bonanza of announcing a potential episode 10. But there's no denying that episode 9, courtesy of director J.J. Abrams, does everything it can to put a cherry on top of not only the sequel trilogy, but the 42-year-old film franchise. By the time you're listening to this, you've probably already seen the movie once or twice, but chances are you're also thinking about it all the time. And since you want to discuss it, you know you do, I've put out the call for a multi-generational collection of fans to discuss the film and its many spoilers. I'm serious, if you haven't seen the film yet, turn back, because we're gonna spill some items that you'll want to witness for yourself first on the big screen. Every so often a pop culture event comes along which is so important, so seismic, so, so very nerdy that it requires a special assemblage of opinionated voices to come together to geek out. This group is known as the Sons of Jor-El. Never fear, some daughters are represented as well. And for the second time in 2019, they've answered the clarion call to break down a long-anticipated cinematic milestone, which concludes an epic saga. This time, the movie is Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, the ninth and purportedly final film in the episodic Skywalker saga. We have opinions, spoilery opinions, and we're eager to dig in. So let's meet our esteemed panel of amazing people that are on this phone. We're a slightly truncated 
collection of um, uh, Sons of Jor-El, but I'm excited that it's multi-generational because I think that uh, that is going to be relevant for this conversation, for this movie. So, um, starting on the West Coast, Mr. Alex Brewer. What up, Alex? Hey, what's going on? I cried through that whole movie. <laughs> hey, Wait, you know, we're talking about cats, right? We are talking about cats, and we all okay. cried for different reasons uh, watching cats, <laughs> for sure. Um, uh, because the people demand it, Alex, I want you to uh, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, what you do, and I want some nerd cred so that the people out there know that you're a voice they need to listen to. I um, am a geek. I am a nerd. I am a toy enthusiast. I do um, I do work in the video game industry in the capacity of marketing and PR and custom communications. I've uh, been doing that for a number of years, and I jumped into that from my time at DC Comics, which I got to share a lot of stuff with you guys, and that's a big high point of my life to, to have worked there and, and shared it with you. But mainly I just go to bed at 9 and hang out with my dog now. <laughs> uh, all of those things are relevant nerd cred, I think. Um, moving on to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sam Turek. Woo! Whoa! Sam, what's your deal? What are you doing these days? You're making amazing art and being a, a cool dad and and husband and stuff. Well, so that's most of it. I am a, a theater and film director, writer. Uh, nerd, my my daughter who is here. It's Matilda Turek who is twelve. Say say nerd again, honey. <laughs> that was terrifying. <laughs> Guys, the Hellraiser. <laughs> and uh, yes, we've been we have been the two of us more on our own than we normally are because my wife. Gab Cody, who is a wonderful uh, nerd herself, has been uh, trapped far away taking care of a mom who had to have some surgery. And so what Matilda and I have been doing uh, to fill the time is uh, first we, we screened Marvel Phase 1 over the course of a week or two. And then we realized how close we were to Rise of Skywalker. So we frantically started screening Star Wars films. And we only, we had we had very limited time and we had a choice to make. So we screened A New Hope and The Force Awakens. Mm. Um, really good choices with limited time before going to see Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> solid, solid. Uh, so Matilda, you got a shout out there in, in your dad's introduction, of course. Um, what's... What, what, what's your favorite nerdy stuff? So you guys just watched a lot of Marvel movies and you watched a bunch of Star Wars stuff. Are, do you have other uh, awesome uh, nerdy favorites uh, besides those? I mean, m mostly books like Harry Potter and Percy Jackson are two big ones. The Percy Jackson movies don't exist. Ignore those. <laughs> that is so true. So true. <laughs> so true, says the other member uh, second generation member of the Sons of Jarrell. That's my son, Scott Barton, who pops up on this show probably more often than he would like. Uh, he agrees with Matilda that the Percy Jackson movies don't exist. I thought the second one was okay. Yeah, the second one was all right. The first one was a bit of a hot mess. No question. Um, don't talk about that. Uh, Scott, what are what are some of your favorite per pursuits besides all the things that I have dragged you willingly or unwillingly into? Hmm... What are some of my favorite pursuits? You know, you're a big D and D guy. I am a big D and D guy. Yes, I'm a big D and D guy. Uh, I'm a big '80s guy. 
Uh, I haven't always considered myself a Star Wars guy, but recently I realized that I know a ton about Star Wars that I have not willingly known, but that is thanks to you. <laughs> not willingly known. I accept that criticism and you're welcome. Um, amazing. All right, so so let's dive into this. So um, uh, ju- just for context, in the case of Sam and Alex and I, we are all... Uh, Generation Xers, meaning that the original Star Wars trilogy was released when we were kids, and therefore it's fused onto our DNA in a serious way, and so in good times and bad, with good movies and bad, it it binds us, it penetrates us, (laughs) and it means Star Wars is this foundational nerd starting point for our creative lives. Um, uh, With that in mind, Alex, let's start with you. How does it feel to have reached... The end of this saga. Wow. Um, I'm going to say relief in a way. Um, As I mentioned, I was on blackout for like four and a half months. So that was exhausting. But it paid and it paid so well. And um, I watched the trailer after I saw the movie. And I'm so glad I did not watch that trailer. Um, I've been basically I've been trying to recreate 1976 to 1982. uh, Maybe my whole life. So uh, going going analog in in the dark like that was really, really great. Um, You know, um, I'm uh, I'm not as sad as I thought I was going to be. Um, I'm glad Chewie made it. That was my big Deadpool concern. And that fake out scarred me for life. (laughs) Oh, my God. I, I cried. I cried. I cried when I knew he was alive. I didn't cry when I thought he was dead, but you got your back. Uh, so I knew there was another transport. But mainly, yeah, I, I am exhausted, and I can't wait to see it again. Um, it's obviously Star Wars has meant a lot to me in my life. And it's one of those things that was always there, you know, in the best times and the worst times. And um, even in my adult life. So uh, I'm very, very close to it. And I'm glad that it went out the way it did. It made me sad. I wanted to see continued adventures of all, if not most, of these characters. And um, I think... think it's a gamble that paid off on Disney's part. This really could have gone one of two ways, and it didn't. So hats off to Disney to, to, to kind of bringing this back, and we're having a conversation with a whole new generation of fans um, now because it's not just some antique movie that their parents make them watch. It's something that has history, yes, but it's current. And uh, that's that's it. I'm spent. <laughs> I understand, and uh, welcome back to the internet. We've done some crazy things while you've been gone, so... Um... Oh, I'm not back yet. Oh, <laughs> oh goodness. I'll let it ride, Alex. Um, until Election Day 2020, I think. I uh, saw... Wow. <laughs> you mentioned... Uh, Chewie's death, and then his not his death, and whatnot. Um, and Matilda, I'm going to throw this one your direction. This movie, The Rise of Skywalker, was full of death fakeouts, right? Chewie's dead. He's not dead. C-3PO's mind wiped. Uh, he's okay. Ben Solo, dead. Back. Wait, dead. No, Ray, dead. Alive? Who's dead? Um, what, what, what did you what did you think about what did you think about all the death fakeouts, and and did it affect uh, your watching the movie? 
I mean, now that you list all of them, it kind of seems like a lot. But during, at the time, like, they actually, they did kill, like, Han Solo. So it was, it was very stressful when you were thinking whether, are they actually going to bring the character back or are they going to keep them dead? So, then again, they could still bring Han back. So it was, everything seemed kind of up in the air. That's kind of true. That's sort of true. When Scott and I were talking about this last night, so Scott, I'm going to throw this your direction yeah. also. I uh, the, the the fact that they did like, whoa, wait, they, we just killed Chewie? Is that what we just did? And, and then he's back. Then when Leia actually passed, um, that almost, I felt like, undercut itself a little bit. The movie undercut it just because it was like, yeah. uh, I don't know what I can trust. Well, that's especially because it seemed like the cause of her death was like... Ben seemingly getting, like, stabbed, right? But then he did not die. So I was like, wait, does that mean that Leia does also not die? Mm. That made it even more confusing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But did she, like, Hargreaves herself and, like, poison herself so that she would die and then kind of pass on to R2, who she gave the plans to in the first movie, her, like, kind of, I just died, carry on the general resistance? Mm. Whoa. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's hang up and think about that for a while, and then we're going to come. <laughs> one, one thing that occurred to me was um, when they when Han Solo came back and had that scene with Ben on the, you know, at Big Sur, they, um, <laughs> they, uh, they uh, I kept thinking, you know what, I think this was supposed to be Carrie Fisher's scene and appearance, because this was supposed to be the period of, you know, on, on her sentence on her story um oh. and so i'm like wow and that made me kind of tear up even more thinking about harrison ford stepping up to to do that and like maybe originally it was her love that was supposed to you know bring kylo back ben back and then she, you know she would uh and then that was enough force expenditure and she demise. yeah alex you're totally right. I'll bet that is because that would have been a mirror, the mirror to Last Jedi, where yeah. Luke appeared. Like, I don't. How is he here? I'm, he's here, though, I guess. And that's ultimately like giving everything he had at the last second to try to bring him back. And yes, you're probably right. That's what how they would get Harrison to come back. Cause he's like, oh, look, sure. do it for Carrie. Like, they said, do it for Carrie, and Harrison was like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think it makes sense that he's there. I mean, like, both Luke and Leia have their significant moments in the movie, so it wouldn't... It feels like Han should be there, too. He should have a bit. Yeah. Sure. Hard, hard to argue. Let, let's talk about uh, performances in this, which I thought that there were so many really, really good ones um, this time through. Not that the other ones have not, but... Um, uh, Sam, I want to I want to throw it your direction. If there are any uh, performances that really stood out to you, or that you really dug this time through, uh, what's the, I, I I've only seen it once, so I have not yet committed to memory the name of the the little puppet guy <laughs> who is working on C three PO's head. Do um, no, the guy who fixes him. Oh, he's, he that was one of the. the fun, performances in the film i thought he was really huh. great <laughs> i thought they were i thought i thought everybody was good honestly um uh 
Lando stands out as someone who's just like, I'm fat Lando, and y'all are going to have to love me for it. And so we did. <laughs> There's just more of me to love. <laughs> right. He did not um, embarrass so, himself. So relaxed, you know? Yeah. So, like, totally along for the ride, which is kind of who Lando is. Um, so I, I, I really enjoyed that. I loved seeing him again. Um, you know, I love uh, the, the guy who plays Finn a lot. I think he's really great. Um, I wish he had more of an arc and more to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of always feel like that about his character. is interesting, again, watching The Force Awakens again and sort of um, his, his arc in that sort of tortured and um uh it was it was it was really interesting watching force awakens and a new hope back to back and sort of comparing the way they they push the characters through the story um there's something about the original trilogy characters that they're all just so fully formed and um they make choices that sort of go against the way that they are programmed and formed, like has to come back to rescue Luke at the end of a new hope, even though he doesn't want to, cause he's the scoundrel. Um, and I never, I, I feel like I never really got a great bead on Finn through the whole, um, sequel trilogy. Like who is this guy really? Hmm. Interesting. Um, you know, a thing that I would bring up about him, and maybe this would solve solve your issue, and um, on on Finn is that uh, he, of course, is the first person to wield the Skywalker family lightsaber in battle, right? In the trilogy, um, and in Rise of Skywalker, he has a lot of he has a lot of feelings. He feels yes. Ray's death. He feels the Star Destroyer command ship is leading the Sith fleet. Um, The internet is, of course, already sniffing around this, but the big question is, is the man once known as FN2187 Force-sensitive? Seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Uh, As as Scott and I were uh, riffing about the movie, especially there was also the whole, like, I've got to tell, I want to tell Ray something. Like, do we think that's what he wanted to tell Ray? Right. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I kind of thought it was that he loved her. I well, I because it's been sort of this vibe the whole yeah the whole time. It seems like that's what five, four or five different people who he really kind of has that weird chemistry with. Like there's Rose, there's Ray, there's Poe, there's his (laughs) Poe man. Then there's also that one girl. I don't remember her name. I don't either. In in this movie, right? Yeah, and she's she's the one that stays with him through that whole thing on the um. One of the destroyers. Oh yeah, Jana or whatever her name is. Yeah, even though Rose leaves, and it's, it's it seems kind of weird. Yeah, it it does a little it does a little bit. That's that's a solid point, Matilda, and a pretty thorough list as well. Um, <laughs> when um, when Scott and I were talking about this, this is like scene scene number one of two that I want added to this movie is something at the very end, right? They make it back to the base, hooray, we've won. And Poe, because I also think this is a bit of a mirror to the um, Han-Leia scene on Endor at the end of Return of the Jedi, I would kill to see an extra scene with Poe saying to Finn, all right, why don't you just go, go, talk, to, go talk to Rey and, and tell her? 
tell her that you love her. And Finn's like, wait, what? What are you talking about? That thing, that thing that you want to say, just go tell her, like, I wasn't going to say that I love her. Like, well, what were you going to say? And then at this point, then Finn, like, force levitates an item to Poe and, like, winks at him or something. And off they go into the jungle with Poe, like, wait, wait, hold on a second. Come back here. It feels a little weird. I mean, I guess, it, well, in 2019, that's like an incredible level of subtlety for any filmmaker to sort of like leave it there and let let you wonder. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, I kind of would have loved to have seen uh, Finn be the new, to make a callback to The Last Jedi, be like the new broom boy at the very end. That character like, wait, someone else has the force? <laughs> Where was Broom Boy? Where yeah. was he? What happened? Broom Boy was at the very end of Last Jedi. Broom Boy was a stable boy uh, on oh, Canto Bite, um, who we saw earlier in a movie, like help release all the horses, um, <laughs> space horses, uh, and then and Rose gave him the little uh, resistance ring with the Rebel insignia on it. And then at the very end of the movie, we see um, him sort of like staring out into space uh, and he just holds out his hand and, and the broom sort of floats into it uh, as he's going to clean or something. It's real subtle, but it yeah. was a nice nod of like, um, even even when the resistance is just sort of left high and dry with no one there to come save them at least somewhere out there in the galaxy. Like, here's another no-name person, which probably means there's plenty of no-name people that have this ability, so there is a future. A new and hope, then, if you will. And then a lot of people are like, who was that that kid at Tony Stark's funeral? And that was him, too. <laughs> it's <a> room boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so um, obviously in some of this conversation, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of it. This movie was so full of awesomeness and also so <laughs> full of more than a few things that you could pick apart if you wanted to. And I'm doing a little bit of that, no question. Um, but... Let's talk about uh, some of the, the individual things that we loved. Uh, Alex, you've been very honest about saying that you cried through much of the movie. Uh, as, as Oprah Winfrey might say, Alex, what made you cry? Oh, boy. Well, um, <laughs> like that, that Chewy thing definitely, definitely got me. Yeah. Um, it might all be Chewy's focused because when he found out that Princess Leia had died, oh, Lord. Like, that was that was a very strong moment. That was that, great. That I'm glad was not a close up or anything because it would, just would have been ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You know, but this the camera kind of pulling out and him just like don't touch me. Oh my God! It's it's like if anything, he was representing all of us. Yeah. Yeah, that was beautiful, Junus. And yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit when, um, they beat back when, uh, Ray defeated Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> gosh, it, it may have just been one steady drip through the whole movie now that I think about <laughs> it. I don't know. It, you know, because it was just, yeah, it was very emotional and very epic. And I've said this a million times, but Star Wars is at its best when it's epic and yeah. badass, and filled with heart and humor. And that's what this movie was. Preach, brother. Yep, that makes sense. 
Um, I, I know, uh, as far as my, and we're coming to you the guys with this as well, team Pittsburgh. Um, I know that I immediately started probably tearing up and spending the whole movie close to tears, um, in part because of like the other, because of the kids in the screening near us, there was some kid that, um, like BB eight rolls on screen early on the movie. And there was some small voice that was like, Oh, <laughs> which wow just delighted me to no end and uh set me certainly in the right tone like yep you got it kid <laughs> that is the way to watch this movie it was like watching the special editions back at the Ziegfeld theater in 97 all over again <laughs> chewy would walk on screen chewy r2 would roll on yay oh good times a lot of whisper screaming <laughs> where, where did you whisper scream, Matilda? Um, I I very I strongly remember because I too am scarred when the, during the Chewy fake out death I was screaming Chewy's name. Whispering. <laughs> <laughs> you know this is uh, now I I just want to experience uh, Scott rolling his eyes at me all over again live in person when during the opening crawl. Um, uh, it said something about, uh, hey, the dead speak, by the way, so uh, don't don't forget that. Um, <laughs> the, it said something about um, Kylo Ren trying to track the origin of this phantom communication or something. And I leaned over to Scott Nudgem and it said, like, the phantom, it's the phantom menace all over again. Here's the episode one tie-in. Using the word phantom, at oh, which yeah. at which point yeah. Scott yeah. looks at me and laughs as if to say, you are old, leave me alone. <laughs> well, you're right. I'm sure that's... <laughs> I'm sure they did that on purpose. I'd be shocked if they didn't call him the phantom as a non-reference to the phantom menace. Yeah. <laughs> because he was the Palpatine. He, he was, was the phantom. He was the he phantom. Was. He's the phantom, all right. Phantom. Um, oh, yeah, sing about it. So the the identity of, of Ray's parents and lineage has been one of the driving themes of the sequel trilogy, of uh, course. Yes. And after being told in The Last Jedi that her parents were nobodies, in this film being told that her grandfather was certainly somebody, um, Palpatine. So um, uh, I'm going, I'm starting with the youngers on this one. Scott and Matilda, I want to hear you guys. Uh, is this a satisfying conclusion to the who are Ray's parents plotline? Does this work? Or does this feel like, eh? Well, okay, so there have been theories about, like, her being uh, Palpatine. There was there was a whole theory um, somewhere on YouTube, and it was that she was actually kind of, like, genetically grown a little bit like, turns out, Snoke was, um, as part of Palpatine's orders after he died. Died. Um, Tank full of Snokes. but i think i think kylo does have a line where he says um you your parents made themselves nobodies so i wasn't lying and that that's kind of part of it there's like her you were not supposed to know who her parents were her parents didn't want you to know who her parents were true that's true that's true Scott, what do you think about this? When you when you watched that, was it like whoa or uh, really? I I didn't think oh really. I thought that was a good reveal, but I just think that story has been 
It's been so zigzag, you know? It's... I didn't like the way that it progressed overall throughout the trilogy. I think that was the best way to end it. Okay. Uh, boys, what do you think? We've been living this one for uh, for decades. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have this thing of, you know, the, the farm boy can, can grow up to be the Jedi. Yeah. What we knew right up until we were un- under in the bowels of Bespin. And then we found out that you you actually have to be born into it to become a Jedi, and I've always I've always been a little bit sad about that. Yeah, me too. So, I I loved where Johnson took it in the yep. last, where it was like, oh no, you can you can just be from nowhere, and if you've got a heart big enough and, and you're born force sensitive, then you get to be you know then you can be a Jedi, and that that's really what the the broom boy was about. Yeah, and so I I. I love that we were going there. I kind of agree with Scott that like this is the this is the best way they could have figured out how to tie everything all together again. Um, but in the end, I'm kind of sad he wasn't n- nobody from. I agree. It was one of the biggest best ideas from Last Jedi that kind of got ignored. I mean, we can go into the things that the rest of the internet are going on into about you know retconning and whatnot, but. I, I agree with Sam. I was kind of uh, I was I was sad to see that not explored more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I feel the same way. Ultimately, uh, Sam, I'm totally with you. That was one of my favorite things of of Last Jedi was the acknowledgement and, and sort of the demidichlorianization of yes. uh, of of what it means to be a Jedi. Like, look, this yeah, this is a thing that in theory anyone can tap into if you're, you know pure of heart or totally dark of heart i guess um yeah i uh, i would have loved to have seen a more impactful impactful reveal than than kylo just sort of blurting it out <laughs> it definitely that certainly seemed a little bit to be like we have so much more in this movie we've got to get to okay. so i'm just gonna say this and then uh audience do with it what you will mm-hmm which which kind of stinks. I would have loved uh, it. This is this is my other fantasy scene that I that I wrote after watching it, and it wouldn't have, <laughs> it wouldn't work narratively. It wouldn't work in the story structure. But I would have killed for Palpatine to reveal it somehow to her. Like if we would have learned it at the end with a, you know, do you know the sacrifices that must be made to achieve power? And I had a son on Naboo, and he was worthless. He was a account executive uh <laughs> in an ad firm i didn't i had him killed but Donald it, yeah right but his daughter was very strong and then to have like no that's not true it's impossible moment um I remember one, one life day he brought home a gungan <laughs> still say that should have been in a dream she should have like seen that location met Palpatine in the dream so it's even more chilling when she's like seeing it in real life mm. you know seeing the crowd the throne yeah I, w- I would have liked that that would have been cool um uh, okay hard with spoilers. what's that <laughs> Kylo just isn't good with spoilers no he really isn't you're no one your your parents are nobodies, all right. <laughs> Except your grandfather, he was Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so, uh, Matilda, here's another one for you. At the end of the movie, we talked about this character a little bit before. Uh, Lando offers to help Janna, that's oh the Naomi Aki character, discover her family, and he says something like, well, let's just see if we can find them together. So, yeah. multiple choice question. Was this moment A, kind of creepy, B, the setup for a future novel or comic book miniseries, or C, was it both A and B? Let's go with D, which was, it was mostly B, but now that you mention it, it's kind of A. <laughs> oh, you didn't think it was creepy when you saw it the first time? Oh, man. I was so weirded out by that line. My skin was crawling. I want them to be like, he's her grandfather, yeah. or he's her great uncle, or something, and he knows it, because maybe one of them is force sensitive. And so, like, she's like, hey, we're going, hey, guess what? I'm probably your great uncle, or something. Let's go do some smuggling. I feel like the internet has maybe already, like, I feel like I've seen some article that is alluding to the fact that, uh, I don't know if this is, uh, if this is JJ's intent or not, but that there might've been a cut line or maybe it was there. I don't know that when we first meet Lando on Burning Man planet, that, um, he says something about, I had a, I had a kid and they were taken, uh, by the first order. And then she, of course, is revealed to be, you know, one of the the lost generation of kids that is swiped away to become stormtroopers. So I think, I think what they're saying is, in fact, that she's supposed to be his daughter, but they didn't really connect those dots to make it not creepy. <laughs> now right. The, now the galaxy is too small. And now you I was just going to say, it's a very small galaxy. And yeah. you definitely can't be born into, like, being a hero, because... Everybody is related to somebody. Yeah. All right. Forget I ever said it. Friend goes to the same school as this other lady that I know. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) The same Jedi dojo. Same (laughs) Jedi dojo. Um, Can we can we talk about Leia's training? Yes, please. Oh, things that I was like, no, I want the movie to just be that. (laughs) For sure. For sure, no, yeah. So Ep- cool. Episode six point five, please. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I was doing some forgiving during this movie, and that was one of those moments. Yes. Yeah. She knocks Luke over, and they're just like, "Yeah, that happens." <laughs> <laughs> well, between that and also uh, when Ray is training at some point, and she's running away from Leia and says, "Yes, Master." Just yeah. to know that Leia has been training Rey as a Jedi is just so cool. Yeah. Which, which, you know, I'll, I, I guess I'll give props again to JJ, like for the a metric tonnage of stuff that had to be included. Um, how uh, incredibly concise so many of these moments had to be, you know. So, like, obviously, I'll, I'll moan about like, where was this scene? It would have helped to connect these dots. But just dropping things like "Thank you, Master uh, Organa," and and other stuff like that just totally gets your juices going. Like, oh yes, this I am at home. This is so. This is so great. One of Comicdom's most exciting dynamic duos is the pairing of illustrator Ashley Witter and writer Ash Mazko 
whose name you will hear me mispronounce during this interview. I'm sorry, Ash. As individuals, they've created some incredible work, and together they've produced the acclaimed comic book Squarriors for Devil's Due Comics, the Game of Thrones of Woodland Animal Stories, which has itself spawned a tabletop card game. I sat down with Ashley and Ash at the Garden State Comic Fest back in June to learn more about this remarkable couple. When you're a comic book creator looking for the perfect collaborator to bring a project to life, you want someone whose vision and instincts you trust, who you can communicate with clearly. And honestly, if the collaborator's name is similar to yours, even better. Uh, which leads me to this incredible duo, the team behind Squarriors and the web series Cigarettes and Carrot Juice and so much more. It's Team Ash, Ashley Witter and Ash Mazko. Oh my gosh, thanks for the time, you guys. It's pretty close. Oh, I was so... I was... Uh, so close on getting Ash's last name correctly. There's so, so many consonants there. Uh, <laughs> tell me about the origin of, of this partnership. How did you two find each other in the first place? Uh, well, we found each other not in art, actually. We just found each other out in the wild. <laughs> and then, you know, it just turned out that I happened to be a writer and Ashley happened to be an artist. And we liked doing, like, working on projects with little woodland creatures and Squarriors sure. came together. She was the artist, I was the writer. Nailed it. That was it. That's fantastic. I, I love the, the, the shared love of woodland creatures. Yeah. Like, you know what I like? I do too. Yeah. That's how it went. You know, so speaking of the woodland creatures, from afar, Squarriors, of course, looks like a book about clans of fighting woodland creatures. But in reality, there's so much more going on there thematic. Can you describe Squarriors for the uninitiated and what you wanted to do thematically as, uh, as the writer? Oh, I thought this was going to be easy. <laughs> Hardball. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I can just kind of give you like a little background sure. on like kind of what, you know, Scorriers, for, for those that might not know, uh, in 1986, man dies off and all the little woodland creatures get intelligence and it's kind of their turn to inhabit the planet in like this post-human world. So all the, all the humans are gone, but their technology and buildings are still there and blown out. And uh, now all these squirrels and cats and mice and chipmunks and things are just now gaining intelligence and they're forming tribes and going to war with each other and creating religions and kind of doing all the same things primitive man did when they first started but yeah. you know again now in this blown out human universe that used to exist right, so right. that's kind of the quick pitch there the the art in scoriers is some next level naturalistic drawing of environments and those animals uh uh, we've sort of established that you you have, in fact, sort of been drawn to that for much of your life. Uh, although, uh, in my mind, your studio is just wallpapered with uh, animal photos from National Geographic. At this it's actually wallpapered with real animals. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Living animals, not... not um, <laughs> no, they're all taxidermied, and it's like Norman Bates is... Right. <laughs> but um, I've got a couple of sugar gliders and a rabbit and a dog. <laughs> wow. Use those for real inspiration. That's amazing. Um, how, how do you two typically collaborate? Because I'm guessing that it's not as simple as Ash writes a script, Ashley creates the art. How does, how does your flow of ideas work? Um, <laughs> there's been many times where I'll just, <clears throat> I'll just go to Ash and be like, what's your idea for this one? What do you want to see? <laughs> um, but yeah, he'll, he'll write a script and then I'll do thumbnails and we'll kind of work together on it. Um, usually we just have like the same eye and the same ideas for stuff. So like, it's really easy to communicate those things. Sometimes Ash will just like tell me a scene and sometimes he'll actually sketch it out as mm. a thumbnail and then I'll, you know, we'll kind of go back and forth and stuff. And then I might have my, my own take on it. And sure. then 
showing that. So, yeah. Sure. Well, it's got to be handy to have, like, the shorthand at this point of, like, I want to do the thing. You know the thing. Well, yeah, I got it. Yeah, we kind of got that. And honestly, it kind of is that simple. It's like I do write a script, and it's like, you know, at this point, Ashley kind of gets my vision, and I get her vision. So it's like there isn't there isn't a whole lot of communication there. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's going to be a scene like this, and I trust Ashley to make it look amazing. And, you know, it's usually way better than I even, you know, initially thought it was going to look, you know, once once we're actually doing the real panels. So, yeah, it is a, it's kind of easy, actually. That's That's got to be sort of a cool feeling, having worked on, on similar projects myself, that, you know, you, you know what you think it wants to be as a writer or producer or editor or whatever, and then and then it comes back in, and it's like Christmas morning all of oh, a sudden. Yes. Like, what did you yeah. do? It's magic. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. Well, there's been lots, actually, pretty much every panel of Scorriers ends up being like that. You know, I see it as one way. Even though I know it's going to look amazing, once it's actually there on paper and colored, it's always, like, so much better than I even, you know, expected it to be, so... Um, the point is that we're in love with everything that you draw. Thank you. Um, so, Ashley, you specifically dodge a lot of comic book interior work for higher assignments. Um, so if you're going to be spending time working on uh, on sequential frames, you're all about the creator-owned stuff pretty much at this point. Yeah, how did you get to that point? Or make or come to that decision? Is it just the inherent workload of scoriers and, <laughs> okay, she says. <laughs> like, I was, like, thinking about it. Um, so... Interior artwork, there's there's a ton of work and the amount of detail that I put into it. I'm yeah. like, all right, this this is not something I should be doing for like a fast, quick job. You know, mm. the cover art is like it's still very detailed, but I can get it done in a reasonable amount of time to meet deadlines. So doing interior art was kind of like, I want to do stuff that's a little more personal because yeah. I know that I have a little more time on that. So right, yeah, right, right. A lot of huge like time dedication to do like sequential art versus like covers or something. So. Oh, cool. And Ashley's so loaded down with things like, yeah, it's like she's got maybe time, you know, to do one book a year of sequential art. So it's going to be Scorriers. <laughs> sure, sure. So so let's talk about uh, uh, the cover stuff really quickly. Beyond Scorriers, uh, you do a lot of cover art, particularly for Marvel for X-23, and nearly two years' worth of covers for the Star Wars series Dr. Aphra. Has it been that yes, long? Yes, <laughs> As someone who reads them like a religion, I can tell you, uh, the Dr. Aphra stuff. I'm a gigantic Star Wars nerd. Uh, I love the Afro covers. Um, walk me through the process of creating a cover for a series like Afro. It doesn't need to be Afro, but do you see the script? Are you privy to that, or do you talk to editorial and they say, this is something we've got in mind? Walk me through that. Well, sometimes I do get a script um, for press for time, and it's just like, here, this is written, like, draw something from that. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times I'm working with a bunch of editors. Yeah. They, they either have, like, an idea or we're brainstorming together, so it's kind of like a group effort. Yeah. Um, but particularly with Dr. Afra, it's just kind of, she's already up my alley, so I just, it's like, every time it's a new cover, it's like, oh, this is going to be fun, you know, yeah. like, whatever's going on with the story. So, yeah, that's that's about it. I, what, what I find interesting about that series sometimes, especially when we get to the, near the end of an arc, like, you can't really say a lot on the cover or, or, or infer or indicate what's necessarily going on. So, um... Uh, this I, and I don't mean this negatively. I think it's incredible, actually, that you can do this. That it's sort of a, a lot of variations of like, uh, Afra looks excited about a mysterious thing. Yeah, what is she looking at? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, 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 right. She's always tinkering. You know, yes. she's always getting into something. Yeah. Even though, like, yes, like you're saying, like right. there's stuff going on, but she's over here, like, just trying to like, uh, like make. I can't think of the word. 
Sorry. Yeah, no, that, that's okay. That's okay. And one of your covers did uh, successfully convince me that Triple Zero um, had uh, exploded and was dead and that she was next. So thank oh, you for, yeah. Yeah, for dragging me into that. Me just like, is this the end? No. Is this the end? No. <laughs> right, for sure. So uh, so back to your, your joint projects. Not only can we read Scorriers, but we can play Scorriers, of course, the card game. How, how did that come about? Tell me about that conversion. Holy smokes. So, uh, actually, the game was developed alongside Scorriers. Ah. So, like, like literally, when Scorriers number one was being worked on, we were already working on the game. Uh, since the beginning, you know, I've, I've been into designing games and things my whole okay. life. So, the, the, the whole plan with Scorriers was always to have a game for it. You know, it was always to, like, take all that cool artwork and put it on cards and make, yeah. like, this whole other thing. So, yeah, we developed the game alongside Scorriers for, like, three years, and now we've got it out. Uh, we're actually got an expansion coming out at the beginning of next year for Scorriers. Uh, yeah, I've just always been really into making games, and that was, from the beginning, that was the plan. Got to have a Scorriers game to go with the Scorriers universe and yeah. all that. And uh, as it is, the game expansions actually go alongside with the new series. So as the new series comes out, like, next year, there'll be an expansion that comes along with that, with all cool. the new artwork and the new characters and stuff. Very, very That's cool. Uh, well, I, I got to say, in conclusion, uh, the other day I saw, so there has been like a Mouse Guard movie in development. Now it's canceled, I think, but a little piece of footage leaked and uh, seeing small woodland creatures jumping over hurdles and sword play and whatnot thought like, yeah, I don't care about Mouse Guard. I want to see this as Scorriers. I desperately do. Like to see that. <laughs> sure, yeah, I'm sure. I think sure. that would be cool. Uh, we haven't obviously got quite there yet. We haven't found the right avenue to make that happen sure. but believe me we would love to eventually have some kind of you know yeah animated awesome epic yeah. scorriers thing so yeah that, that's been in our mind a long time also hollywood if you're listening netflix hulu if you're listening scorriers, let's do this thing animated series. for sure well congratulations on that it is it's such a cool cool book uh it's a great read it looks gorgeous uh and i very grateful for the time thank you thank you, thank you guys since some time has passed since this interview, it's probably worth mentioning that the Dr. Afra series has just drawn to a close, so we won't be seeing any new covers from Ashley for the Star Wars character. However, Marvel Comics is still keeping her busy with the covers on the new mutant-centric series Fallen Angels, and there have been some variants for Amazing Mary Jane and Black Widow, and they both have a hand in a Lady Death Last Stand card game through Cold War. Wow, Ash and Ashley are busy. Oh, and did I mention they've got a baby on the way? Congratulations, guys. Listeners, begin suggesting your Ash-based names now. Ashton, Ashford, Ashwath. I'm just workshopping here, people. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks to my guests Ashley Witter and Ash Masco, and for my nerd pals Alex Brewer, Sam Turek, Matilda Turek, and Scott Barton for talking some Star Wars. Special thanks also to Dave O'Hare and Sal Zerzolo at the Garden State Comic Fest, and Eric Belomo for coordinating and capturing this episode's interview. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your podcast feed to nerd out. It means more to me than you know. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like and what deserves to become General Grievous's primary care physician? If I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times, you've got to take care of yourself or that cough is never going away. You dumb robot. 
You can tell me what you think by leaving me a message at one of the show's social media channels. They are the 1.21 Gigawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Gigawatts. And on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Gigawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds at the 1.21 Gigawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Check out 121Gigawatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. Did you know that every episode of this podcast is available for free at Apple Podcasts? It's so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. And while you're visiting Apple Podcasts, you can help us out. Whether you're a subscriber or not, please rate and review the show, especially if you have something nice to say, because that will help more like-minded listeners find the show and everybody wins! If you're not an Apple Podcasts user, you can also find us at SoundCloud.com or on Player FM. You're probably listening to my voice right now thanks to one of those platforms. Browse the other episodes listed there and check out another one. I'll even make a recommendation. If you enjoyed this episode's interview with Ash Masco and Ashley Witter, I encourage you to check out episode number 23 when I spoke with comic book writer Ron Mars. His career has included projects for DC, Marvel, CrossGen, and Dark Horse, and he's got some great stories of making it happen in the comic book industry. That's episode number 23 of 1.21 Gigawatts. Give it a listen as soon as you finish this one. Huge gratitude to my co-producer, composer, sound designer, and the wisest man I know, not schlepping frankincense or myrrh in late December, David Sisko. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. You are and remain the best Cisco. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all of those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's nerd rock band H2Awesome rocking out with the 1.21 Gigawatts theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. gigawatts what every geek wants is what we got from doctor who to aqualad you might meet luke and leia's dad pop culture that is super rad hosted by some guy named brad it'll rock you to your nylon cylon socks 1.21 freaking gigawatts Spotted the fugitives. Oh, they fly now. They fly now. They fly now. 